0: The title of this message is Unstoppable. The subtitle is really the question asking ourselves is this of God or man? Passage is verses 17 through 42 of Acts chapter 5. But the high priest rose up along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And if you remember, uh, a lot of these miracles were happening amongst the early church, the apostles. And so these religious elite, these folks, high priests, they became extremely jealous of what was happening in this Christian movement. Verse 18, and they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said... Go your way. Stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates had come, they called the council... Together, even all the Senate of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not not find them in the prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. Now, when they... The captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about, about them as to what would uh, what would come of this. But someone came and reported to them, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people." Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men." The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging Him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to His right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. But when they heard this, speaking of that council, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, reported by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago uh, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a group of about 400 men joined up with him and he was slain and all who followed uh, him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished and all those who followed him were scattered. And so in the present case I say to you stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men it will be overthrown. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. And they took his advice and after calling the apostles in they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name and every day in the temple and from house to house they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ." As we read this passage or just read it, hopefully you can kind of get into the moment. And as we've been reading along in this Acts narrative, you're understanding what's happening in the early church. Jesus Christ had this public ministry for for three three years and then some, was ascended to heaven. These apostles and this early gathering of believers were empowered with the Holy Spirit and right from day one of Pentecost, 3,000 are numbered are added to the number. And it continues to go and go, breaking bread, hearing the apostles' teaching, just sharing amongst the believers. And a great sense of awe was found in the church. Where as they gathered, there was a great magnetic force that brought them together. And it was more than just, oh, we're happy to be in community. There was something happening on the undercurrent and within Spirits that drew them together and as God's spirit was moving in this early church, miracles are happening, teaching is taking place, prayer is a constant fixture in, 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 in these early gatherings and as worship is being lifted up to the Lord, lives were being changed and as individual lives changed, you, you you cluster them together, the society, the community was beginning to look different. And so the religious leaders, the the religious elite of the day, they were the type that was satisfied with the status quo, meaning they didn't like the change or the shift. And as this group was beginning to swell and these words were beginning to just permeate from circle to circle, it just perked up their ears and their hearts and they became angry at this and they were filled with jealousy, it says. Now, for those on the top of any organization, usually those types of folks, when they see a disruption, they can, of course, be angry at that. When they see others having a sense of influence, they can be jealous of that. And there's a a desire to want to maintain that standard or status. And these religious leaders were just like that. And in this particular setting, they they gather them and they, they throw all of these leaders or apostles in jail And what happens here in the book of Acts and what we see just in their spirit is a great sense of thankfulness and joy in the midst of their persecution. In the midst of being handled roughly, treated badly, looked down upon, that in the midst of that, there was this great sense of sincerity and joy that was in their hearts. And it made me think about something that Jesus said in the Gospels, and I have it for you here in Matthew chapter 10, when He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you, that's the flogging that they experienced in our passage, scourge you in their synagogue and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. These apostles were living out this prophecy that Jesus had shared with them, some time ago, as they were in front of this council, the leaders of their day being flogged and scourged, persecuted for their faith, they were able to stand and speak God's word with such authority and conviction, such clarity. And you have to say that it was the Spirit of God speaking through them. Because this movement could not be quenched. That the words that they spoke carried weight. It did not need a a bullhorn or sense anything else to amplify it. There was a great sense of power behind the words of the early church leaders. Because God was behind it. And so these apostles are jailed in in a public jail. And as they are there, this angel, and the passage seems to allude to the fact that the guards had no idea that an angel showed up. Okay. And so for whatever reason, whether they fell asleep or were put to sleep or things happened in ways that was like a back door, I don't know. But somehow the guards had no idea that there was a disruption inside the cell. And this angel comes in the middle of the night and frees these apostles. He says, go your way. And here, what I want to say is, I want us to realize how active angels are in the world. Now, there's a passage or a verse in Hebrews, in 1.4, it says, Angel, Are angels not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That angels are dispatched into the world to render service to people, the people who will inherit for, the, for this work, for the work of salvation. Angels are dispatched to help those folks to get the message out there. If there is a non-believer and somehow in a dangerous predicament, an angel can be dispatched to the service of that individual so that this person can be protected and brought to a place where he or she will inherit salvation. If you are a child of God, angels can be dispatched for you to protect, guide, and lead you so that you can be faithful in your ministry to preach the gospel because God ultimately wants people to inherit salvation. And for this cause, he will send out angels. And I believe that in my lifetime, I have entered, entertained angels not knowing that I did. I mean, it's clear all throughout Scripture that angels are there, right? And a lot of the times, people don't even know that they're angels. They come to realize that after the fact. That there are mentally, body, uh, bodily forms or appearances of, of beings that may look like men, but they are actually angelic beings. And I believe all of us, at one time or another, have entertained angels and we thought it was just an individual. Because they're active and sent out. Later on, when we enter past those gates and enter into the other side of eternity, I think we'll have the vision to be able to see what has happened in our life and how active God was. I mean, to the point where, I, you know, the things that we were angry about of the disruptions and the things that seem to have interfered or the people that have interfered in our lives. Later on, I think we might even have the vantage point to see that God dispatched those, that those were actually angels protecting us from going a certain course. That angels are sent out to minister, render service to those who will inherit salvation. This is the spiritual world. And so from our passage, I'm going to mention two things. The first being this. God's purposes and people do not run away from hard work and hardships. Why do I say that? This angel or angels, they freed the apostles. And if you look back at the passage, it doesn't say, "Okay, now run for the hills, save yourself, right? Make sure you don't go back into the hands of these religious leaders. The angel says now, basically, I want you to go your way, stand and speak to the people. Where? In the temple. And I want you to share this whole message of this life, the angel says. That, I find, is very important in this passage. And when these apostles, after being jailed and mistreated by the very people in the temple, the angel doesn't say, I free you now, go the other way. Right, I did all of this work, so go the other way so you don't find yourself back in here again. No, the angel says to them, I want you to get up out of this prison and get back to the temple and complete the message. Tell them the whole message of this life. That these apostles were freed for that purpose. Going back to the lion's den, so to speak. The very place whose leaders wanted to kill them. And I look at the biblical narrative from Old Testament to New and I see this time and time again that God's people tasked with his purposes they march toward hardship with a purpose. They march towards the very hardships that other people are walking away from. I think of Abraham, right? Go back to Genesis. Abraham with his nephew Lot and their entire families and servants, they wander off and they go and they finally find themselves in this place. And Abraham goes to his younger nephew Lot And he says, okay, the land is before us. I'll let you choose what you think you want. What is best for you? If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And Lot looked at the land. He says, oh, I see it it plush with green. And this is the place that is being watered. I want this. This is better for my people. This is better for my livestock. I'll go this way. And Abraham goes the other way. And so the hardship of the terrain that wasn't in question for Abraham. He understood that God can do things regardless of whether it was green or brown and he gave preference to a younger relative. Moses, he walks towards the very sea to be pinned against when Pharaoh and his army is charging right on their backs. David he says, let's defeat this defiant giant. The very giant that everybody was quivering in fear over. David overhears what he's saying. Everybody's running away and he's the only set of feet that are walking towards that giant. Daniel, let's trust God, even if we go to the den of a lion with the pit of a fire. Jesus, he walks towards the lepers that everyone else runs away from. Peter and John, in the book of Acts that we read, they walked towards the lame beggar when everyone else was just scurrying along. And even in this passage, these apostles, they go back to the very temple that they were being persecuted in. Don't you find that significant? That if I am a child of God, tasked with His purpose and calling in my life, I should not make decisions based on what is easier, what is more difficult. That I should not dictate where I go based on, is it going to be harder over there? Because when the Spirit of God is inside of me and He gives me a vision for what is possible and what can and should be done, I can march toward hard work, toward hardship. And I can do so with joy and with confidence. And so what are the hardships before you? The question should not be, is it too difficult for me? But it should be, is God calling me to do this? And if He says yes to that, regardless of how difficult it may be, what persecution may come, march onward. Go back to that space. Finish the task. Because God's purposes and people do not run away from hard work and hardships. That's first. Second is this. The things of God cannot be stopped. And I I don't know how uh, much more simple I, I can state it. That it's unstoppable, God's work. That when God has purposed in His mind to do something, it will be done, period. Like there's no ands, there's no ifs, there's no conditions to that. When God says, I want it done this way, it'll get done. That God's work, that the things of God cannot be stopped. And then, can I say this? If the things of God cannot be stopped, the people of God cannot be stopped if they are on task. That when I and you and we as the people of God are on assignment, we cannot be stopped. We we might redirect ourselves, but ultimately the mission, it cannot be stopped. Isaiah rightly said in chapter 14, 27, For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Job, at the end of his life, when everything was restored, after everything was taken away, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When accomplishing his plan, God will part waters, He'll change the heart of kings, He'll shut up the skies. He'll flood the earth. He'll give a child to a couple in old age. Or He'll give a child to a young teenage virgin. That when God says, I want to do something, there there aren't any barriers to that. And so as we consider our life's plan and being in the heart and will of God, we can have that type of confidence. That God can cause a movement started by a young Jewish man in a corner of the world. And this man never ever left the basin of his birth, the geographic basin of his birth for his entire life and barely lived three decades. That he can start a movement from that man in that tiny little armpit of the world to now be over a billion followers. And that's just present day. If you take in the historical count of every generation that has preceded us and passed on into the Lord, that number balloons. That how can such a great movement start from such a small place? And can I say a small man? That Jesus was a giant spiritually, but when you just look at Him just with the eyes of what the religious leaders were looking at, And what many people in that society were looking at, uh, no. That God's plans are unstoppable. That He'll dispatch angels to free His people. That He'll even cause death to glorify Him. That there are circumstances that we just cannot wrap our minds around and then ultimately... God's plan is continuing to unfold and unfold. And in this setting, these apostles being jailed, freed, going back into the temple, this council gathering again the morning after, asking for these apostles to be brought. The guards confused. Where did they go? One random onlooker says, hey, those guys you're talking about, they're actually back in the temple. And they're talking about that guy Jesus again. And so the the captain goes back to the temple, brings these people, these apostles back without violence, And then in this setting, when they want to kill them, this one priest, he stands up and he says, I know you want to kill these guys. Just like people rose up to kill Jesus. And the easiest way to squash it was just to slay it for them. And I know you want to do that, but I say take a step back. If I look back in Gamaliel's perspective, he's saying, I remember these two individuals, that they were religious fanatics, that they, they had this following when they were alive and the message that they were trying to spread. But when those leaders passed, that gathering of people scattered. And it happened from that person and that person. And so his counsel was, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Jesus is dead. Now these apostles who are the, the point people of this movement, if they pass on, This movement will scatter if it's of men, but if it's of God, we cannot stop it no matter what we do. And those are wise words. Those are profound words. And this is the evaluation from our passage we must use whenever we face an unsettling or difficult circumstance in our lives. That we encounter this thing that is unpleasant, unwanted, and we're like, man, that in this moment, the first inclination is, God, get me out of this, right? That's how we pray. We're in trouble. We say, God, get me out. I don't like it. God, get me out. This hurts. God, get me out. And that's our first inclination. But I want you to fight back. Whenever you're in that moment that it's unsettled and difficult, in that moment, fight back. Take that back again. And instead of asking God first to to take you out of this circumstance, I want you then to ask yourself the question, is this of God? And you're just trying to tap in. You're just trying to hear a little bit. You're just trying to press your ear against the heart of God. And you're saying, Lord, how, what, what are you doing here? And you're just trying to lean into that. And as you lean into that, your your focus is no longer on difficult or easy, but it's on God's will or not His will. And when your heart is drawn towards the conviction and the confidence that something is the Lord's will, you can march right back into the temple and speak the very name everybody told you not to speak. When your life is on the line. And so as the people of God, let's have that be our initial inclination to say, God, is this of you or is this of man? And when that becomes our first filter, the first way that we evaluate life, pursuits, desires, decisions, things begin to change. We interact with our environment differently. We have a different sense about us, the way we stand. The humility and conviction that we have in our hearts elevates when we know that God's will is being fulfilled. And so I encourage you in that way to remember these two points. Know that God's purposes and people, that they do not run away from hard work and hardships and know that the things of God cannot be stopped. I finish with two summary takeaways. Praise team, come on back. First is this. This is regarding the angels, okay? Always recognize that we live in a spiritual world. Please remember that. That God is near. That angels are being sent out, you know? The next time you get uh, stuck somewhere or somebody comes by and saves you or helps you or gives you guidance, who knows, maybe that was an angel. And in ways that we don't even understand or cannot even recognize, we entertain angels. That we live in a spiritual world. So what does that mean? Acknowledge that. Pray for that. And say, God, I thank you that you are near. And ask Him for guidance and protection. Ask Him for angels to be sent recognize that we live in a spiritual world. That's first. Second is this, that when evaluating the merits of any pursuit or circumstance in life, first consider its alignment to God's heart and will. And when that, again, becomes our first filter, everything that we look at in life will change. Amen?